Imani Byers is a native of Savannah, Georgia. Imani has always cultivated a passion for helping and serving others. She is a proud alumna of Howard University in Washington, D.C. After receiving her Bachelor's of Science in Human Development and a minor in Psychology, she relocated back to Georgia to complete a dual master's program in public health and social work at the University of Georgia. Imani began looking into birth work as a means to address the health disparities experienced by black and brown birthing persons in the United States. Astonished at the numbers, Imani decided to jump all in to help support and advocate for the overlooked voices within her own cultural communities. She since expanded her social work practice and research to include maternal mental health within the black and brown community. She has worked with mothers and children in domestic violence shelters, residential living, and community-based therapy settings. Imani is a certified best birth doula and a certified holistic fertility doula through the National Black Doulas Association. She is currently awaiting certification through the National Black Doulas Association for Placenta Encapsulation. In the future, Imani plans to run Rebirth Wellness to include her clinical social work practice and doula services, all while being able to raise her future children. She is a budding herbalist, a godmother to the cutest and most inquisitive and smart one-year-old named Josiah, and a proud dog mom to an energetic boxer puppy named Chloe. Audience, meet Imani Byers. excited because I have truly one of my besties here with me, Imani Byers. Imani, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. And I want you to tell my audience about yourself and tell us about your amazing company, Rebirth Wellness. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for inviting me to be here with you today. I'm so excited um, to talk with you all. Um, so again, my name is Imani. I am a licensed master social worker, as well as a um, public health professional and a best certified doula um, here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm originally from Savannah. So um, my background in helping started at a very young age, probably like at eight, um, maybe even as young as six. I helped my mom uh, with my grandmother who was paralyzed. Um, so I always had an affinity for helping people and I thought that in helping people that it would just stop in the aging world because, mm -hmm. um, my public health background is in gerontology. However, as I kept going through my program, um, and even in my capstone project, um, I ended up focusing on grand families. So how the younger generation, the older generations were connected mm -hmm. and I have a strong um, a strong connection to 
um, grand families and what happens in that gap between mm-hmm. why mothers can't potentially um, produce in a maternal manner to their children and then end up being with the grandparents. So um, I'm just a lover of life, a lover of wonderful things. Um, I love my little puppy dog, Chloe. That's my only child right now. Um, but I'm looking forward to having children, lots of babies in the future. But yeah, that's just about me a little bit. Mm, I just love your story. Love it. And the more that I learn about you, the more I'm amazed by you. I am just uh, like, ooh, ooh, I can't get enough of you, Imani. You're amazing. <laughs> it is mutual. Our spirits are kindred indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I have to agree with you. So, Imani, I brought you on to definitely speak about some subjects, mental health and maternal mental health. So can you tell me why is mental health important for all of us? That is a great question. Um, And it's definitely something that needs to be talked about in this month because May is National Mental Health Awareness Month. Mental health is is so important because it is the essence of our being. Mm -hmm. If our minds aren't right, we're not able to effectively do anything. Um, We can't think straight. It affects our sleep. It could affect our diet. Mm-hmm. It just affects a myriad of things. And when our mental health um, is considered just as important as our physical health, that's when we get into holistic well-being, mm, yeah. um, which is, I think, is the goal for all of us. Because mm-hmm. we want to get to that place of self-actualization, like I'm at peace, I am th- I'm happy, I'm fulfilled. All of those things um, encompass our mental health. And so that's why it's so important, because it is the very essence of our being if our mental isn't together Mm -hmm. our words aren't going to come out we can't heal others unless we're healed ourselves Mm -hmm. wow and then going further with that Amani can you tell us then about maternal mental health yes so maternal mental health um it essentially is the mental health of a birthing person Mm -hmm. right because um, we want to be inclusive when we speak about our birthing community and right. make sure that no one is left out. So maternal mental health focuses on um, the mental health of a birthing person. So that is making sure that the birthing person is not experiencing maybe um, mm-hmm. baby blues, mm-hmm. um, PPD, which is postpartum depression, mm-hmm. um, PPA, postpartum anxiety, which is actually not really talked about as much as it should be mm-hmm. because it is such a um it's such a prevalent thing that occurs and then on the far end of the spectrum which is most um severe you would have your postpartum psychosis um so that is what encompasses um maternal mental health and it can be good or bad it just depends on any extenuating circumstances Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so what do you feel um imani is one of the or some of the biggest misconceptions about maternal mental health oh my gosh you know we could talk about this forever this could be like a whole nother show Leslie yes I... Um, <laughs> yeah I mean I think the biggest misconception is that it's not really affecting um, as many people as it really is mm-hmm. um, and I also feel like the biggest misconception is that um, people really aren't feeling how they're feeling or it's an over-exaggeration. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a disservice to birthing people. Um, 
that is a huge, huge transition in your life's journey, mm-hmm. um, becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. So how can you, or how can one expect not to go through some type of emotions, whether they're really happy, really mm-hmm. indifferent, really sad? How can one expect not to go through those things yeah. um, with such a life-changing, life-altering um, journey and position and place to be in in life. Uh-huh. Um, I really feel that um, if people um, paid more attention to maternal mental health, yeah. especially in our black and brown communities, I feel like like a lot of lives could be saved. There'd be probably a lot less yeah. grand families mm-hmm. with those grandparents heading and caring for the grandchildren mm-hmm. because the mom or whatever parent just couldn't really get themselves geared up to do this because right. they didn't feel equipped to. That's a mental health concern. Yes. And that's something that's going unnoticed and undiagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a fear about being diagnosed with something, right? Right. Because, you know, in our community especially, I don't want none of that. You know? <laughs> there's nothing yep. wrong with me. That's true. Pray it away. Pray, that's oh. all you have to do. You know what I mean? Exactly. But it's, it's a lot bigger than that. Yeah. I definitely agree, and I'm glad that you touched basis about our um, people of color, our black and brown um, friends and family members and community around us, because um, my thing is we're always trying to find a way to pray it away. Um, exactly. And, or even to just play, uh, put our blinders onto it um, and not uh, see what it is that we should be looking for and seeing. So why, Amani, do you think that people of color are so opposed to seeking help for some of our mental health issues that we might be having or that we might be seeing friends and family away? You know, I think it it really, really leans on the stigma within our community. Mm-hmm. So not even just the global community, right? Because mental health is taboo for a lot of people yeah. still. But in our communities, for sure, um, there's a stigma associated with it. Are you going to see a therapist? You crazy? Mm-hmm. Or um, something's wrong with you? She's touched. You know, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, we, um, and rightfully so, have a mistrust of this Western medical model. Right. Because even when it comes to talking to psychologists and psychiatrists, um, those psychiatrists are medically trained right. in a Western model. Mm-hmm. So they may not be able to identify um, with what we are going through, especially giving respect to like ancestral traumas. Because we have those people out here who say things like, oh, it happened so many years ago, get over it. Or it didn't happen mm-hmm. to you, get mm-hmm. over it. Mm-hmm. But don't really understand how deeply ingrained that stuff is in our culture. Like, right. for example, my parents are boomers. Right. Mm-hmm. My parents grew up in Savannah when they were integrating the high schools. Mm. So it's not that far removed from me. Right. So I feel that energy. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And um, I think that's something um, that should be paid attention to is that mistrust. And then also we have that generational trauma learning. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I mean by that is, you know, the old adage, like what happens in this house stays in this house. So if uncle, if uncle buddy, over here touched me mm-hmm. and I told mom and them right well we're not gonna tell nobody right. um because you know 
X, Y, and Z, and he got this going on, and this could mess up his life. Well, well what is all my life then? Uh-huh. Because I'm going to have to deal with that, and it's going to come up in a different way right. as I get older. And that's been proven. Um, even way back to, ooh, my good friend Freud. Um, and Freud was a trip, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> but with him even talking about, you know, hysteria is what they used to call it in, uh-huh. in women. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this hysteria, they're hysterical. Um, and mm-hmm. that's because they went um, and, you know, they were processing this childhood trauma that happened to them. Then he supports this argument and then he refutes it. Like, right. oh no, there's nothing really happened. Nothing really happened to them. They just have penis envy. Like what? Right. You know, it's those things have been ingrained in us and we're kind of forced to feel like, okay, maybe something really isn't wrong. And then of course, you know, we have religion, uh, which respects to all religions, but I'm a firm believer mm-hmm. that you can pray and love God or love whomever you serve. Right. And also go to therapy. Period. I definitely agree with you because I remember growing up and all my life hearing about what happens in this house stays in this house. And Mm -hmm. um, though I don't have um, like sexual abuse, there's no history of that within my family. But just the fact of not being able to open up about just growing up generally Mm -hmm. in life and so um growing up my father love him wonderful man my father Mm -hmm. is not one to tell us kids my father has three daughters that he loves us Mm. and um so you know how he showed love was he always took care of our family of our household there was never anything that we ever wanted or needed because he completely completely always took care of our household but what I was lacking and what I needed was to be able to hear that and make that connection from a from a man that was providing and that was taking care of his household and things. So when I got older, I desperately needed and wanted to hear I love you from a man and even mm. though a lot of times some of these guys telling me that they loved me never had any good um um anything good in their thought process as in regards to me but they would say it so I would keep them they cheated they um were mentally abusive but I kept them kept them and I kept being around them because I was looking for hearing I love you and it always made that it seemed like whatever they were doing and however they would behave would be okay because they were saying I love you Um, And so I didn't realize that until clearly being an adult over 30 years old that I started to make that connection. And through the help of a therapist that how, you know, Leslie, could it be that you have I love you issues Um, Mm -hmm. and not being able to hear that? Now, my mom overcompensated, I think, 
for saying I love you, I love you, but I was always looking for a man and I to mm-hmm. tell me that that he loved right. me and it yeah. just it developed trust issues. Okay, Absolutely. if you're not telling me that you love me, um then is it you don't love me? I'm not doing something right. I'm not doing mm-hmm. this. But you know, that could be a, again a whole nother story uh <laughs> and a whole nother right. episode yeah. fully about um about, you know, that stigma that are um that that plays in our home of you know pray it away if you just keep praying things will get better okay yeah. <laughs> yeah. sometimes you need that extra like that non-biased voice mm-hmm. or that non-biased ear right because they train us um you know in social work school which is very different from you know like my colleagues in counseling and maybe marriage and family therapy, but Mm -hmm. they train us to be really good active listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the best things that I ever did was um, be a volunteer active listener for this website called Seven Cups of Tea. I don't even know if Seven Cups of Tea is even up and running still, but it was an amazing space just to... It was online. People would type in, hey, I'm going through this. And I'm just actively listening just so they could keep talking it out. And then, of course, you know, you refer them out if you think they needed therapy Uh or had any um, ideations of suicide Uh or harming someone else. But it was just a great space for people to come and they could come either anonymously Mm -hmm. or with their profile name and just really process through some things. And I think that's, that's the real bones and the grit of therapy and understanding what therapy is you don't just go to therapy when something's wrong right you can just go to therapy just to process your day-to-day exactly and you'll be surprised at what comes up when you're in those sessions when you feel like nothing's wrong and I'm just talking but I react really really differently to certain things or Mm -hmm. rage or anger Mm -hmm. comes out or aggression comes out in these situations and I don't really know why and as you keep talking those things start to come out and Mm -hmm. then now you're processing through this journey of ooh I gotta go through this past this past (laughs) life that I repressed so deeply in the barracks of my mind and now they're coming up because I'm talking to somebody who really wants to hear it Mm -hmm. and I just I'm just an advocate for that because, you know, I grew up in um, a Christian household. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, my parents, when I had my breakdown in social work school in 2016, November 2016, I will never forget it. I broke down in the back room of my current job. Mm-hmm. I just broke down. Um, I had just had my direct practice, practice methods class. Uh-huh. And we were talking about some things and I was just like, Ooh, this is hitting me. I'm getting triggered. Mm -hmm. And I started having visceral or, you know, body reactions. I'm shaking. Mm -hmm. I'm crying. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I need help. I I need somebody to hear me. And I guarantee you, I I called my mom and my dad there. They were in the same household. I called them separately. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I think I need help. I think I need to go to therapy. And, um, they were just like, well, what do you think is wrong? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know that anything is wrong. I just don't feel right. Right. And all I'm saying is I need help. 
and will you support me? Mm-hmm. 100% yes. And I'm so grateful for that because I'm very certain that had they not given me their blessing to do that, I'm very certain that I wouldn't have gone through with this. Right. And I wouldn't have still been in therapy today. And then I wouldn't have been able to be, I wouldn't be able to hold space for all sure. the people that I work with. Because right. I've worked in domestic violence, right. in aging, mm-hmm. with young adults with children and doing my community-based therapy work, Mm -hmm. I hold space. And then now for my doula clients, I hold space for all of these women. And um, I'm just so fortunate that I was triggered in that class so I could go to someone who could hold space for me, hear my woes, and then process it. And now I have the skills to go forward. I, wow. I I think we just had a uh, therapy session, Amani. I know. I know. I know. Oh my gosh! And that's what happens when you're able to um, express, because a lot of times yes. we hold that in. Like, would we? You know, for me, twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, would I have felt confident enough, um, empowered enough? to hold this conversation with you because I would have been like, you know, okay, mom always said we, you know, what happens here stays here. Um, We can't let people know other than, you know, we're doing great because that's what they want to see and that's what they want to hear. You know, um, our family is just great. Like we have to put, I guess the expectation sometimes is like we have to always have a smile on our face. Or that we always have to show the whole world that we are doing fine, we are doing great, and we are perfect. That superwoman complex (laughs) will be enough to break us as black women, as women of color. That's that's such a heavy burden to carry. Like, sometimes I just need to scream out, like, no, I'm not okay. Yeah. And I'm good with that. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And just so I make sure that we come back to our maternal, our maternal um, yes. health, because I, I, you know, I know that how all of this in a way plays um, together. All of it plays mm-hmm. together. Hey, thriving listeners, are you enjoying this podcast? Take a moment to subscribe, like, and rate this episode. And now back to the show signs that we're starting to see some mental health um, issues arising? What should we be looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. I would kind of, you know, kind of first, you would want to identify if there were any risk factors in Mm -hmm. general to it. Um, So we want to know, hopefully, if this is a person that you're close with or a family member, hopefully you would know if something, if they had received a prior diagnosis, Mm Um, of something because that is definitely a risk for something like this happening Mm -hmm. in a maternal stage Mm -hmm. Um, so if anybody has any prior diagnosis they do run the risk of having um, concerns come up Mm -hmm. postpartumly um, and even during the pregnancy Um, so things that I definitely suggest um, looking for um, we can start you know, very basic with baby blues, right? Uh-huh. So you'll you'll probably see like random outbursts of crying, mm-hmm. like she's watching TV or they're watching TV. 
and then a certain commercial comes on and then she just bursts into tears Mm -hmm. and it's not a sad thing but she just having an emotional reaction to this life change Mm -hmm. you may see mood swings um signs of anxiety and anxiousness and Mm -hmm. then you know sadness um and at that point if you notice those things ask the person Mm -hmm. are you okay outside of the baby because i think moms get lost a lot yeah um when baby is born it's baby 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 mm-hmm. even before the baby's born baby, if they're born baby, in a baby. hospital yeah exactly that baby, infant baby, baby. centric care you know <laughs> and it's and it's a disservice to them because like you like we were talking about um you know off off the line like healthy mom healthy baby mm-hmm. like that that is the nit gritty truth like if mom is good, the baby's going to be good because mom mm-hmm. feels actualized and mom feels empowered that she can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if we go on to something um, which is most com- more commonly known, which would be postpartum depression. So mm-hmm. that's going to be sadness, feelings of helplessness, depressed mood. Um, maybe you notice they're having difficulty bonding with the baby. Like, eh, I'm not going to breastfeed. They didn't take whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, which I kind of saw in um an episode of insecure i don't know if you watch insecure but insecure is rooted in yes um and shout out to Issa ray for doing that because that is something that needs to be talked about right. in a public forum so mm-hmm. i'm glad she's using that space to do that um and then also too um in postpartum depression they may start expressing fears to you mm-hmm. if they do that hold that space for them and comfort them and then definitely refer out um and then we have um postpartum anxiety which is something i'm very passionate about because it gets overlooked Mm -hmm. um and i've had some really really um really really interesting um introductions and experiences um in talking with women uh who have gone through postpartum anxiety Mm -hmm. um they literally thought that their baby was going to die in their care they're super worried Mm -hmm. what's gonna happen don't leave me alone i i I can't do this Mm -hmm. i remember um you know my godson's mother she called me crying after um her baby was born Mm -hmm. it was like my mom just left and i was just like I understand, you know, I had to hold that space for her. Right. Um, and just like, I understand, I comforted her, I'm empowering her, you can do this. I went up there, um, because we came a month early, mm-hmm. so just forget the ticket I bought, but um, <laughs> I go up there for his actual, technically, his actual technical due date, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I just was trying to be that person for her, like, can you get up and change his diaper? Yes, and you can sleep because I'm not going to be here forever. Absolutely, I will do that. So just pitching in when you can, when they express those feelings. Or, you know, those moms that may uh, check and make sure the baby's breathing Mm -hmm. all the time, that's a sign of postpartum anxiety. Um, uh, Tiredness, having racing thoughts, Mm -hmm. all of those things are a sense of dread. Those things are all signs of postpartum anxiety, and I think that it should be, you know, just as respected as um, PPD and mm-hmm. um, the far end of the spectrum, which is the place where I pray that um, very little women get to, which is um, postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know the Andrea Yates 
story. Yeah. Um, this woman was going through something. It was not handled properly. Mm-hmm. She harmed her children um, permanently, mm-hmm. you know, and she's gonna she has to live with that but she told somebody her mm-hmm. thoughts yeah but they didn't believe her they like they brushed it off and, pe- and then she never brought it up again that's your sheer fire sign exactly. if somebody says something to you that is illogical or maybe they're having um a manic episode right and by mania i mean like oh, I'm not sleeping, I don't need to eat, I can do all of these things. Mm -hmm. Or if they're in a place of delirium, delusion, again, illogical thoughts, Mm -hmm. and extreme anxiety and agitation, those are all signs of postpartum psychosis. If any of those come up, they need immediate attention Mm -hmm. in a hospital. They need treatment. Because that's not something that's just going to go away. Okay, absolutely. So those are some signs I definitely would tell any person whether in mental health or a lay person in the community those are signs mm-hmm. you should be able to look for and Imani what are some uh, resources or referrals that you can provide us with when we are seeing um, some of these risk factors or we're starting to see some of these behaviors being exhibited what, um, what who can we refer them to yeah, so um, due to COVID-19, we're probably going to see an influx of people having these maternal um, mental health crises or situations. Right. So one of the places that I really like a lot um, is the Black Women's Health Imperative, which mm-hmm. was formerly the Black, the National Black Women's Health Project. Okay. Um, they do um, the Atlanta Summit on Emotional Wellness Women. They also have a lot of online resources. Mm-hmm. So it's a great place to check out. Um, another one, which would be um, Postpartum International, mm. I really like them mm-hmm. um, because it's Postpartum Support International. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them because their website, uh, they go through pretty much all the states, and they tell you where they have in-person um, support groups as well as online. Mm-hmm. And they've recently added more free online support due to COVID-19. So definitely check out PSI. Um, Then one that I really like, um, which is run by a lay person. Mm -hmm. Her name is Kiara. She's in Savannah. Um, We actually went to high school together. Um, She's a mom of two. She has a great, great parenting story. I was so proud of her. Um, But she created an empowerment group to inspire and help mothers dealing with postpartum depression. Wow. It's a community group that she runs, and it's called Let's Vent by Kiara. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kiara is spelled K-I-A-R-A. Mm-hmm. She's on Facebook and Instagram. And she also, um, in partnership with her husband, created the Man Cave, which is for, you know, fathers who may be feeling um postpartum depression because that happens right and i feel like they get ignored partners get ignored so there's space for both of them and they do things um online she's having she has online talks Mm -hmm. as well as um community that she's set up on facebook and i really really like her initiatives and what she's been doing um another therapy place um that has really good reviews is bloom therapy Uh um she's a certified um, perinatal mental health um, counselor mm-hmm. so that is imperative when you are dealing with people 
who have had a manifestation of uh, maternal mental health concerns, mm-hmm. you want to find somebody who is versed in perinatal um, mental health. Mm-hmm. And this is a great place for that. Um, so definitely would recommend um, looking into Bloom Therapy and also therapyforblackgirls.com. You can type in mm-hmm. literally wherever you are yeah. and type in your your what you need, sliding scale, mm-hmm. all of that, the concentration, and put it right in there. And then they will give you like a plethora of um, therapists within the community. So it's great. Um, so I would highly recommend those without reservations. <laughs> love it. Love it. And Amani, how can my audience follow you? Because I love you and them following you would be an added plus to their lives. I really, really oh. believe you are one of those folks that everyone needs to know. Everyone needs to have an Amani in their um in their repertoire. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so mutual. I love Leslie and I love what you're doing. I just think you're amazing. Oh, and I, I really again want to thank you for letting me come on and talk. Um and support my business, Rebirth Wellness. So yes, um, you can reach me at rebirth underscore wellness. So rebirth is spelled R-E-B-Y-R-T-H underscore wellness. Mm -hmm. Um, Or um, my personal IG is more melanin underscore underscore. Um, And then my Twitter is rebirth wellness. Um, and we're also Rebirth Wellness on Facebook. Our website is www.rebirthwellness.com. So again, Rebirth is R-E-B-Y-R-T-H, wellness.com. And you can reach us um, on our business line at 706-254-8290. Excellent, excellent. Amani, I definitely want to... Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us, to educate us, to empower us to know what we should be looking for when it comes to our own mental health as well as um, maternal mental health as well. So I appreciate you and I appreciate you um, speaking in terms that we all can understand because sometimes Absolutely. you go um, somewhere and you're like, what do they? What did they just tell me? And yeah. um, and you you're not able to accept it, or you're not able to be that help that you want to be because you yourself don't even understand. So I certainly appreciate that of you. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Um, and thank you for holding space for people who may not have been able to have a conversation or listen to a conversation about this um, because it's just out of pure fear or because out of um, acceptance. So Mm -hmm. thank you for hosting this and having this space for us to come and talk. Um, It was just a great experience, a beautiful time. My heart is very full. So thank you, Leslie. Oh, thank you, Amani. Thank you so, so very much. I really, really appreciate you and everything that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. If you are ever in the business of attaining your CDL 
or if you've been out of the truck and need a refresher course, more so looking for one-on-one -on -one sessions to get your CDL, smaller class sizes, or even weekend training options, contact Innovative Transport at 404-740-7169 or email delandrialjones 75 at gmail.com. And now back to the show. Marcus Davis is a patient advocate and community health educator. He's a nursing school graduate with his registered nursing associate's degree, currently pursuing his bachelor's in business healthcare management. He's been working in healthcare for over nine years in outpatient and inpatient facilities, hands-on patient care, and in the nonprofit for other organizations about two and a half years currently working to help end the HIV epidemic here in Atlanta. His passion is to help individuals feel better and be an advocate for themselves mentally and physically. That is why he's launched his podcast called Unplugged Health because he wanted his podcast to be something that provided secondary education to the public about mental health and physical health. Audience, welcome Marcus Davis. excited because I am graced with the presence of one of my fabulous friends who is full of knowledge and empowerment and education for us. I want to welcome my friend Marcus Davis to the podcast today. Marcus, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and tell us about Unplugged Health. Hi, everyone. I want to thank you, Leslie, for inviting me on here. You know, um, a little bit about me, where to start. Well, it all started when I was two years old. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a little bit about me. Uh, my background is in registered nursing. I've also been working the last couple of years in nonprofit sector, trying to end the HIV epidemic here in the Atlanta area. Mm. But I also currently, what I currently started on Plug Health is because of my experiences of working as a graduate nurse, also working as a patient care tech, working in inpatient and outpatient centers, but also working at, in the nonprofit sector, I started seeing that there was a barrier between the doctor and the patient and just the community and facilities all together. I felt as though that people lack you know they weren't feeling as though they matter it was almost seeming like everything was just about the healthcare numbers and paying your bill it was almost like the education wasn't there the lack of knowledge wasn't there or they felt like the time wasn't taken to implement the information to them so i started unplugged health uh, making sure people could be an advocate for their health mm -hmm. you know not only physically but mentally being able to speak up about what they feel is right for their health care, being able to learn the information they need, and also being able to have that linkage 
to someone or somewhere to go if their doctor or their local physician didn't give them the information they needed to, you know, have that continuance of a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That is excellent. I love it. And I love everything about Unplugged Health and what it stands for. Definitely enjoy that. When you told me that this was something that you were venturing into, I was super, super excited, especially for our black and brown friends because um, dealing with mental health for some reason is so taboo um, within our culture and I'll definitely uh, delve with you a little bit into that um, soon but I want you to tell us Marcus why is mental health so important? You know um, being that it's mental health awareness month i just like to say you know anybody out there dealing with mental health you know reach out you know it's never a time especially during this pandemic and mm -hmm. COVID 19 being one of those isolating things that we have to practice social distancing mm -hmm. i want people to feel like there is somebody out there to reach out to but you know mental health is it matters because Mental health is how we keep our stability. You know, you can't work out half of the body. You know, mm -hmm. it's like a car. If you don't take care of the engine, the car, it can look good, but it won't feel good. It won't run, you know? Mm -hmm. So your mental health is the engine. You know, you have to take care of your mental health mm -hmm. in order for you to run well and physically be, have the ability to achieve the things you want in life. So I think mental health is very important to the stability of your life. You know, I feel as though when I tell people I compare it to the engine, you have to make sure you do those daily tune-ups, like those daily moments where you think about things, those daily uh, things where you write out stuff, you know, you project how far you want to go, where do you want to go in life, what do you want to achieve in life, where do you find the best balance, and try to correct those, you know, even though there's no cure for mental health, mm -hmm. there is things you can do to aim the significance of how mental health can impact your life. So I like to state that. So I like to tell people, you know, mental health is very important because it is the engine to your body, the stability to keep going. Mm, yes, okay, definitely. So why do you think, and this is kind of bridging back to our conversations about mental health, why do you think it's so taboo with people of color? I think personally, and I'm speaking this from the black African-American male perspective, mm -hmm. because I like to always speak in a perspective that I know and I walked in, mm -hmm. because they say if you, you can't say something unless you live through something or experience mm -hmm. something. So I always believe that you have to experience something to get people to connect to something. And I feel as though in this situation that it's so taboo in the community is because especially for people like me who come from a Christian background, mm -hmm. we were always taught to pray. Mm -hmm. We were always taught to go to church mm -hmm. or always taught, go talk to your great grandma. She'll give you some advice. Talk to your great grandpa. <laughs> or, yeah. What you got that look on your face for, boy? You got tomorrow to work hard. But they didn't understand that it was something in, that was chemically imbalanced in my body or just mentally not connecting with me to be able to focus. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. So it's, I feel as though it's so taboo in our community because you're looked at as if you're crazy. The term crazy mm -hmm. is when they look at you if you need medication or therapy. Therapy is so taboo, too. It's mm -hmm. just now, and this 
century that people are starting to understand the dynamics of what it means to actually go and sit down with someone and discuss your issues or how you feel to make sure you can work through it verbally with somebody who doesn't even know you or judge you. So I think, you know, it's taboo because we see it as like, you know, we're always told what happens in this household stays Stays in in this this household. household. (laughs) So what happens to all the trauma? What happens to the people who have been raped? What happens to the people who have, you know, been molested? Or, you know, the people who have been abused physically, mentally, and emotionally, you know? Yeah. What happens? You're taught to say, hey, you have to keep that to yourself. Don't go to school talking about what happened in this household. Don't go out there telling your friends what goes down in my house and what happened in this family. And especially in the African-American families, we love to keep secrets. Yeah. Secrets. So the tradition is that if it was a secret then, it should be a secret now. And that's not how it should work. And Mm -hmm. I think the taboo has to change. We have to look at life and say, times are changing. There Mm -hmm. is studies behind this stuff now to back up the importance of following up on mental health and not looking at it as like, oh, you're crazy. But look at it as like, hey, we can't be a statistic. We have to change those demographic numbers, especially in African-American culture. That is so very true, so very true, and that resonates because I don't know how many times, you know, within um, that I hear that same story uh, when I'm talking to my friends, other family members, um, growing up in an African-American household where we always hear the what happens in this house stays in this house we just know we know we know all we all you have to do is say what happens and some random black person can finish the statement <laughs> they, they they can finish the statement and it is just so um it's crazy because i will speak to um caucasian friends and they'll i'll be like well you know i just started uh therapy and then I'll ask them, oh, yeah, you know, I can recommend you a therapist, you know, because I've been seeing my therapist since I was five years old. Um, and, you know, it was it's just always so it seems like it's been a practice uh, seeking therapy and things of that nature to um, help combat mental illness in um, Caucasian families from what I have seen. And this is just me. Um, they it's more better received than than it has been within our own culture. Oh yes, because you know I like to say it's learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't consider therapy something to seek because they were never taught it. Yeah, we were taught keep it to yourself, pray about it. Yeah. Suffer in silence should not be the answer. And that's one of the reasons I started doing Unplugged Health because I started seeing people around me and just things about, not even just about normal day-to-day health information and education, Mm -hmm. but just the the aspect of suffering in silence. We were taught that, you know, we don't want to be judged. We don't want to be looked at. And it's sad to say that you have to go to another demographic of people, another color, another race, another sex. Mm Mm-hmm to feel considered, you know, to feel understood. But in your own race, in the African-American community, the black and the brown people should understand 
therapy is not something of hindrance. Therapy right. is something to advance you and something that should be looked at as like, hey, it's a general assessment of your life and where you are. Mm-hmm. It's not saying you have to relive and reopen up every sore moment that has brought you down, but it's a moment to reflect, a moment to become a better person. Right. And I think that people need to stop looking at it as a barrier or a stereotypical moment so that we can advance our culture as an entirety because it seems that if you do meet people in African Americans and you just start a normal dating conversation and you say, hey, I'm in therapy, they're looking at you like, for what? You sick? <laughs> <Yeah>. You crazy? <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, that is so it's true. Automatic, it's, it's automatically seen as a red flag. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I might not need to call her back. Or yeah. the first time you get in an argument with her, they go sit down, you crazy, you know. very like, you know, mind yeah. going, but it's like, why do we have to see that or feel that or go through that as African Americans when it sorry in a different household it's seen as okay. You got to th- you got to see your therapy on Thursday. Okay, yeah. see you later. You know? Right, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, how do what are some of the um, how do we start having conversations um, about mental health within our own families so that we can stop this uh, thought process that it is taboo and that this is a good thing for us. Um. You know, that's a good question, and it really, it's funny you say that, because I was watching Becoming Michelle Obama documentary yesterday, mm. and she had a scene in there where they asked her a question about conversations and when to bring up the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in the African-American community, I think we have to do more the importance of dinner time, the importance of not having technology mm-hmm. uh, in the way, you know, and the new age technology has been the most present thing we always take advantage of. You know, we always have our cell phones at the dinner table. We mm-hmm. always have our phones on us, but we never sit and just talk. Mm-hmm. I think in the African-American community, we have to do more talking and less technology. We have to sit down and actually look at the scenarios and the situations that we're facing as a family, not just as a, you know, some of us come from broken families and we realize why it was broken. I told my mother the other day, I said the communication was not there for a lot of aspects of our family Mm -hmm. and which is why people are suffering in silence now. You get what I'm saying? We, We avoid the issues for so long that we start to get to an age where we can no longer fix the issue mm-hmm. because we became the issue. Mm-hmm. We didn't hit the we didn't tackle the hit issue head on when it needed to be attacked and talked about. And I think as an African American community, we do need to sit down more at dinner tables and actually have those discussions and not be afraid to hear what the the children or our spouse or any loved one has to say back to us. Mm-hmm. We have to actively listen, take in, and, you know, understand that we are not all going to think alike, right. feel alike, and act alike. We have to look at their scenarios, too, and come to a compromisation. You know, we have to compromise mm-hmm. at the situation and figure out what we can do better to move on, move ahead as a culture and a family. That is so true. And when you say about having conversations and listening, um, I think that how most of us can probably say, you know, oh, I feel this, I feel that. 
but then on the other end are we even listening because out of throughout the day people have a lot of conversations with you but it seems like we're so used to um when we hear something and if we don't like what we're hearing we stop listening and now we're coming back with our rebuttal and then before you know it you have another person who is also coming back with their rebuttal and nobody is listening and communicating with anyone we're just yelling and we are just arguing um and i you know i oftentimes think that how this is it's a learned behavior because even as an adult I am still um, getting better at listening and truly listening where I'm not coming up in my head with, well, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that because they said this is actually listening because sometimes you miss a lot when you're already coming up with your rebuttal for uh, what the person said. Yes, I definitely feel that actively listening does take a part. And, you know, we miss a lot. Yeah, And it's not the actual conversation that I was always taught people are having two different type of conversations, what they're saying and what they really want to say. Mm-hmm. That makes so sense. you got to read between the lines. You got to also read the emotions. You got to, I call it checking the temperature of the room, you know, by the yeah. verbiage and by the actions of the body movement. Uh-huh. So you can actually tell when a human being how they're feeling by their verbiage, one, or about their reaction of how they're moving. If they're up and moving around, you can tell that something is off-key or off-balance. So I'd like to speak to that effect of telling people, you know, you have to look at the aspect of it as entirety. You have to say, break the conversation down. I ask a question, you listen. Sometimes I say you could rebuttal what someone says, but did you actively listen to what they're saying? Yeah. To what they're saying or what they're feeling. You know, ask those questions like, so how can I make you feel better? Mm. What made you feel that way? Those are questions I was taught during nursing school to ask those those questions because those are not open ended questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean closed ended questions, those are open any mm-hmm. conversations where you start for response out of them. Mm-hmm. You're actually showing that person. And nine times out of ten, I've learned that you're actually actively listening to a person, that'll de-escalate a situation so much quicker than just giving rebuttals. Mm-hmm. And that'll also make a person feel emotionally connected. And I think that's highly important in any field that anyone works in or any services that you're providing to another human being. Anybody who's spending their money or get, get wanting a service out of you, they mm-hmm. want to feel that emotional connection. They want to feel that actual please. You know, Chick-fil-A always just say, thank you for coming, or, mm-hmm. you know, if you, would you like anything with that? You know, that makes you feel that emotional connection and want to eat Chick-fil-A again. Right. Fly with Delta again. They're like, oh, let us get your baggage, or let us give you something to drink as the flight starts. You know, mm-hmm. the little things like that gives you that emotional connection of wanting to continue on to do or offer those services. So I think at that point, that's something that we have to look at, you know, actively listening and responding to people and actually sitting down and having those conversations in the African-American community because that is something we have to, you know, start doing. Some are doing it. I can't say all are not doing it. But we have to definitely take a look, especially during these times, and actually start having those conversations. Excellent. Yes, I definitely agree with you there. 
What are some signs, uh, Marcus, that we should be looking for within our own homes and with our fa- our friends and family members that let us know that something might be going on mentally? What should we be looking for? Um, I like to say a change in behavior is the number one sign. Mm-hmm. If you're used to seeing someone doing something and they're always on a set schedule, you have to look at a person's day-to-day behavior, and that's, uh-huh. that, is, that comes from conversation, natural behavior, the things that they do on a daily basis. That's why it's highly important mm-hmm. to be active in your spouse or your child's life, because if you're not active, you won't know what signs and symptoms to look for, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think being active in, in their life is number one, because you have to be able to assess their behavior. Right. If you don't know, I think a lot of nine times out of 10, misdiagnosis come from because physicians don't really know the patient. Right. They just go by the standardized textbook. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's not what you could do with mental health. You actually have to sit down and learn the behavior of that patient. And the second thing I want to say is like, look for triggering things. Like, look for off-balance things, mood swings, you know, and not able to concentrate, loss of appetite, overeating, undereating can be both sides of mis- uh, mental health. You know, mm-hmm. you have to look at the typical behaviors, the typical day-to-day behaviors, the attitudes, the mood swings, the you know, the abnormal outbursts or the abnormal quietness because, you know, it's on a spectrum with people. Yeah. Everybody has a different reaction to mental health. You know, some people overeat when they're depressed and some mm-hmm. people don't eat at all. That's where the disorders are there. Right. Some people actually are cutters and some people are actually, they overwork out because they're, they're stressed out. You yeah. know, there is a such thing as you've overworked out. You've worked your body to the point where your muscles are actually, you know, at the point where they're tired. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and people don't understand that because there's so many spectrums to mental health that I say it's case by case. And you actually just got to study that individual. You have to be active with that individual. You got to know what they're feeling, what their triggers are, what their barriers are. You have to know a little bit about their family history because I don't think if you don't touch on those things and you don't break down those barriers, Mm -hmm. you won't be able to, you know, accurately diagnose them or understand what medication to get them on or what services to offer them because a lot of people are misdiagnosed or given the wrong medication yeah. or not provided the right services is because their physician or their therapist doesn't understand them. Right. And they don't know them. They well, don't correct. know them. Their day their day to day um routines and things like that. And that's such an excellent point uh to definitely bring up. So when you're discussing about mental health I think that how sometimes the biggest problems that, especially for people of color, is that whether this is going to be inpatient care or outpatient care. Um... Hey, Thriving listeners, are you enjoying this podcast? Take a moment to subscribe, like, and rate this episode. And now back to the show. Can you tell us how do we differentiate between whether our loved one should be in an inpatient care facility or if they can handle or deal with an outpatient uh, type uh, kind of a type of care for 
any of their mental needs that they might um, be dealing with? Um, I would say, you know, in order to consider an inpatient or outpatient facility for anyone dealing with mental health issues, mm -hmm. I would want to consider, again, their behavior. Okay. Because sometimes in a mental health facility, People think it's very taboo to say the crazy house as we like yeah. to call it. And some of our culture. <laughs> I'm not going to be going to no crazy house where they popping pills and running around the facility. Yeah. And it's not that. We have to really understand that some people who have mental health issues to the extreme mm -hmm. have to be in a facility where they're watched by medical professionals around the clock mm -hmm. with a therapist on site to control their mental, their mental health. Yeah. That means that we have people who are trained to help them during the day who have more than one one or two suicide ideation uh, you know, attempts, who feels like they need to be cutters, who feels right. like they want to do self-harm or harm to other people, who feels like taking medication has not even helped them keep that serotonin or that balance in their brain correctly, you know, in line to right. function in day-to-day -day society. So I'd like to say that people today have to consider what are their behaviors like okay. to choose whether inpatient or outpatient because you have to see how at risk you are to do a harm to yourself or someone else. I mm -hmm. think a lot of people choose outpatient facilities oh, if they know that, hey, I'm just going through a mental depression this month. I really need to check out of my day-to-day -day habits right. and go check in a facility where I can talk to somebody consistently and constantly at a flat rate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, and you know, of course, mental health is some, to some economic standard is right. expensive, but there are a lot of resources out there to help other people who can't afford it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I want to touch basis um about this because I know we've been talking about it. Also, I think within our families, of course, we have to have that conversation, but I think we have to use the appropriate language in regards to like, because I know that how we have heard before plenty of times, oh, they're going to put you in that crazy house. Oh, you <laughs> going to that nut house. Oh, that's where them, uh, the touched people go, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> yes, and it is like, I think if we change our language into calling it what it is, like, yes, I'm going to therapy instead of, oh, she going to go see the, uh, the, the quack, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and sometimes, yes, it's there for jokes, but we don't realize that our wording and how we talk about certain things put people in such a standoffish mode because you know if you've all your life heard that oh you're gonna be uh riding the short bus or you you gotta go to the uh the crazy house and you're coming to a place of they're saying oh okay we do think that how an impatient uh care will work best for you. I wouldn't want to go because all I've heard is that's where the crazies are. And we don't have, you know, we don't have eyes. Now I do as an adult, a working adult in the medical field as you as well, that we have been in, you know, uh, pods of the emergency department or in healthcare facilities 
where they are working with mental health um, patients and it's not what we envision or it's not what we thought. People out here running around with no clothes. People are so drugged up that they are in a comatose state with saliva falling on the side of their mouth and face. You know, and I just think we have to use healthy uh, and correct language. And I, you know, just to touch basis on that, because I know we have, if someone says to me, oh, I've never heard it, especially, you know, and it's not, every home is different. And some people have embraced, you know, whether it's black, white, brown, yellow, they have embraced therapy, have been going to therapy for many years and refer to it as such. But then there's a lot of us who have, um, whose family refer to it as the nut house, as the crazy bush or the short bus and, um, and ugly words really are used to describe. So why would anybody want to, um, go to those places or seek help because we've always been told so just having conversation. And I know this was my rant and spiel for the day about just the conversations when we are having conversations because you might be talking to someone and saying hey yes I think that how it is great for you to go and get help at the crazy house that doesn't help anybody we got to use the right language and terminology when we're discussing and talking about this because mental health I believe is not anything that we should play with it's very very serious and like you said I think it's vital to our life and who we are Yes, I, you know, I agree, and I think, like, I say on all seriousness, no, you know, everything is in the power of the tongue. Yeah. The verbiage. Yeah. In order to be impactful into somebody's life, you have to, one, analyze them, but you have to be understanding to how to connect with them. Absolutely. Emotionally and with communication, and verbiage is everything. You know, the difference between how can I help you and what's making you feel this way can make a person to make a world of a difference in someone's life. And I think in order, when we talk about verbiage in the community, especially African-American community, when we don't have a lot of people who's in the healthcare world who don't understand the verbiage of what healthcare facilities and healthcare people talk about, we have to really, you know, be understanding to that they might not have the literacy level to understand what you're talking about or understand the vocabulary. So they are automatically associated with what they've seen out in the media or what they've read in a magazine or what they've watched in a movie. So I think it's very um, impactful for people like us who've been doing podcasting, Mm -hmm. who've been doing community events to continually get out there and spread the word and be be willing to sit down and allow people to ask questions yeah. and be willing to learn the type of services that there are out there for the people who seek, you know, help with mental health. Because I think sometimes in society we get caught up with what we see and what we hear that sometimes a lot of people don't do the research to understand the resources that are actually there and the verbiage, what the verbiage actually means in context and how it could be beneficial to their life at that point in time. Absolutely. I definitely agree. Yes, absolutely. So in this special season and time that we are in this COVID season, what can we make sure that we are doing so that we're not falling into a dark place, Marcus, or that we're not becoming depressed? 
I like to tell people, lock your doors, grab a bat, and just start swinging. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to tell people, on all honesty, one, be aware of where you are confined at, where are you quarantined at, because that's highly important. Do not be in an area where you feel uncomfortable or stressed out or something that drives your anxiety up the wall. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's an area where you feel at peace. Even if you got a quarantine with a friend, someone you've seen the last couple months, they'll just show up at someone's house and you haven't seen them in the last couple months. Right. Because, you know, that can put them at risk due to the CDC policy. But just show, you know, be in an area where you're able to relax, but also be in a space where you are able to communicate with the people around you. And if not, take advantage of the resources that are out here. You know, with the pandemic, there's been an increase in telehealth. I was on a panel two weeks ago, and we were talking about, you know, the growth of telehealth and the ability to reach out to so many therapists and so many different avenues and a way to reach out. There are even therapists who are offering free therapy right now for people who cannot afford it due to COVID-19. There's therapy out there offering to people who don't even have an income or never had a job. They're just willing to talk to people because they understand that being isolated during these times is one of the hardest things you can do during your life. Especially if you're used to being a person that gets out, you're able to work out some of that anxiety, you're able to go to the park, you're able to go to the mall, you're able to do something to relax yourself, but right now you're confined to your house or your personal spaces. I understand that the restrictions are lifted. We're able to do a little bit more every day, like take a walk around the neighborhood, like go to the park, but it still has to be understood. You're not back at your usual state of life. So there is that off-balance. So you have to, one, recognize that you yourself see that off-balance and that you know you need help. And don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till it gets to the point where you feel like everything in your life has been impacted due to your your mental health issues. Right. Start to plan it out. Start to raise awareness to yourself. Understand where those red flags need to be triggered. I myself find myself sometimes saying like, Ooh, I'm so tired of sitting in this house. I'm sitting here depressed. I'm thinking about all the stuff I haven't achieved in life. Now I got to sit in this house. But I'm like, no, Marcus, that's not the mindset. You have to sit down and say, hey, let me write out some of the things I want to do in the near future. Mm -hmm. What can I be researching or taking advantage of to get out of that hole? And what do I have to put, you know, writing, journaling, finding things to do to keep your mind abreast of the negativity? Absolutely. And I agree. I definitely agree because even um, for me, and I'm actually on the front lines and I'm still going to a workplace and there are times where I go into a moment where I'm just like, you know, is this all that my life has to offer? Um, You know, I miss human interactions with family and with friends and being able to say, let's go out for lunch, you know, the sun is shining now and being able to be like uh, with a group of friends, let's go and climb Kennesaw Mountain and just not able to do that. So I definitely, definitely agree with some of the uh, those suggestions that you definitely made there. What are some resources and referrals that you can provide for my audience today where we can seek or get help with 
any form of mental illness that we might be dealing with? Well, I think I have a couple people on who I've done some interviews with that are listening on my podcast. Mm-hmm. So my, um, my paint, they are certified and I have a certified family crisis counselor. Mm-hmm. I have a psychotherapist I can link them with. I have people who are willing to do tele-behavior health, tele therapy, you know, family dynamics. I have mm-hmm. a family navigator. I have people who are different aspects of life who I've gotten a chance to, and being grateful to interview and sit down and talk about how to navigate those things like this, especially during the pandemic. So I, I tell people, reach out to me and I can connect you. I also work for a company called Positive Impact. So mm-hmm here in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have a behavior health department that is mm. amazing. This behavior health department allows for people to come in, not currently right now, to come in due to the pandemic, mm-hmm. but you can fill out a you know a, a form on our website, and a behavior health counselor can speak you through like phone or email, and mm-hmm. that way you can set up a consultation to possibly even receive the services for free due to your economic status. You know, it's all based upon where you're at in life, but there's always a resource to meet you where you're at. Don't feel as though you don't have nobody. We all walk together. I don't believe nobody walks alone in this this thing called life. It's all we walk together as one. You know, we have to start understanding that nobody is left alone. There are reasons people went out here and got these degrees and got the education and started, you know, wanting to provide these services in the community because we're committed to making sure mm-hmm. people are being an advocate for their health. Not only physically, I see a lot of these commercials always pushing workout, 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 right. introverts, uh, work the body. You know, we talk about all these race trainers, but let's talk about all these life cycles of getting together and doing meditation for the mind, right. you know. Let's talk about getting together and talk about the prevention of suicide. Let's get together and talk about how not to let your past affect your future. Yes, yes. Marcus, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, speaking with you. It is always a fabulous moment when I have the opportunity to talk to you and to pick your brain. How can my audience follow you? I'm listed on Instagram at Unplugged Health. Mm-hmm. I'm also listed on Facebook as Unplugged Health. Or you can go ahead and just add me on Facebook at Marcus Davis. And that's where I can be founded on those three platforms currently. Amazing. Marcus, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day today to be a part of um, this podcast. It was very informative. You are extremely um, motivational, uplifting, and empowering, and I have enjoyed having you um, on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I just want to leave that word of encouragement. I know we talk about thriving women, and I just wanted to leave that note on, like, women who haven't found their voice yet. To mm-hmm. understand they have to link up with you because you are a beautiful woman with a beautiful mindset Aww. and you're out there doing great things and you know, let them know that don't be scared. Let your voice be heard. Don't feel like because of your color or be, because of your economic status, you don't have a voice. You have a voice. Speak up. Use that voice. Get the resources you need to be that bold, beautiful woman. Yes, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Marcus. We appreciate you and all 
your knowledge that you shared with us today. Thank you so, so much. Are you expecting your bundle of joy in the next upcoming months? Consider having a doula on your birth team. Beautiful Joy Birthing Services are accepting clients currently. Contact Leslie Joy of Beautiful Joy Birthing Services at 678-292-3906 or via email at lesliegutierrez04 at gmail.com where we help bring joy to birthdays.